Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, mm-hmm. we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast, the post-NFC Championship edition. Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad. And and Judd, we did a podcast every single day here, and we thank you all for listening to those last week to build up to this game. And when we finally got to the game, all of our guests had said, yep, it's going to be close. It's going to be a grinded-out fest between two of these quarterbacks going up against great defenses. And all of us, Judd, we're wrong. It was not a grind fest. It was not close. It was the Philadelphia Eagles throwing the football all over the Minnesota Vikings in a scenario that I don't think anyone across the NFL saw coming. 38-7 to defeat for the Vikings, and uh, among the scenarios I saw was certainly the potential for a very close and entertaining and a good game uh, that could have gone to either team. I saw a scenario where I said to myself, you know what, this Vikings offense has been pretty good. There is a chance that the Vikings could blow out Philadelphia. I don't think that will happen, but it wouldn't shock me. Matthew, the only scenario that I honestly didn't think could happen was that the Eagles would blow out, would destroy, would embarrass the, the Vikings, and that's exactly what they did. And when you consider it's... The fact that that Keenum and the offense came unglued and scored on their first drive and then didn't score again, that's not entirely shocking. I, I mean, I think we had been talking for months now about uh, the glass slipper in Keenum and that eventually eventually, someone might come calling and say, Case, it's done. And you said to yourself, okay, perhaps this is going to go after the Saints game. You, you said, you know what, it might not happen until 2018. But the one scenario that in my wildest dreams I could not have predicted or dreamed up or thought of was that this defense was going to fall apart. And Nick Foles and the Eagles did a masterful job. But this defense in this game and some key players absolutely came unglued. So my question is, and probably the question for many, many Minnesota Vikings fans, is how did that happen you and i both went down to the locker room after the game here in philadelphia is where we're recording that of course and we didn't really get a whole lot of answers from the defensive players we talked to brian robison terrence newman is one of the most cerebral players on the team same with tom johnson and i honestly think those guys aren't sure or were shell-shocked by what 
just happened to them. Nick Foles finishes the game with 352 yards. He hit big plays, which this defense has not given up all year. A 53-yard touchdown, a 41-yard touchdown. They moved the ball. They converted third downs on the best third down defense in the NFL. All these things that the Minnesota Vikings have not done all year, even in games that they lost. When they lost to Pittsburgh, there were a few bad moments, a few big plays. That's maybe the last time this team looked this way, but we kind of wrote that off as an anomaly because it was so long ago. And then Philadelphia was even better today than Pittsburgh was way back when. Mm -hmm. What did you take away from the locker room or even from just your observations on what happened here? Uh, Locker room-wise, I I sensed that the players were stunned. I mean, I I walked – or actually, as we we were outside – and w- waited for the locker room doors to open. Uh, Ziggy Wilf came out with Mark Wilf, and and they they had obviously been in there to hear what what uh, what Zimmer had to say to the team after the game, and they looked completely like they had seen a ghost. I mean, they looked completely stunned. And then you walked in, and Keenum was sitting at his locker, just staring straight a- ahead, like thinking to himself, "What happened here?" Um, you just went player by player, and I sensed they were completely stunned. I don't think – I really don't think they knew. I don't think that they had any clue, defensively especially, what had just taken place because it was such a destruction. And, I mean, the Vikings go down first drive and they score, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, this thing is on a pretty good track here. And and then Keenum throws the pick, and it's returned for a touchdown. And, and I sensed that that did change the game. But I never would have sensed that the defense was about to melt down, and I did not. I did not get the feeling like any player knew what the hell had just taken place. Zimmer, conversely, it was very interesting to watch him in the post game, because the Vikings were five and zero last year when they came here and got beaten uh, by Philadelphia, and that's when Zimmer went off on the team and he called him soft and he was really upset about it. And so you were thinking to yourself, oh, boy, okay, he's really going to be upset this time. And he talked about, I love this team. I'm not going to point fingers. I'm not going to be upset. Um, if basically told us, if you want to blame somebody, blame me. So Zimmer might have had a very good idea about what Philadelphia had done game plan-wise or where or where or why his team collapsed. But, Matthew, I don't sense that the players knew. I really don't think that they had a very – I don't think that they could sit there and tell you, okay, here's what went wrong because so many things went wrong. And when I go back and look at the tape of this game, I'm not even sure that I'll be able to tell on defense how this all happened. I mean, I'll see what happened on the individual plays, but as a whole for an offense in Philadelphia that put up 15 points against the Atlanta Falcons and needed a little help doing so – uh, to to do this to this defense is really mind-blowing. And it, Nick Foles has had his moments. Pat Shermer, after the game, said, hey, I was here for 2013, and I saw this guy have one of the most incredible seasons. No kidding, ever. I mean, he had 119 quarterback rating that year. But for this guy who hasn't been good since 2013 to come out and look like Joe Montana, it was, was really mind-blowing. And I, I think that it really starts with the strip sack of Case Keenum, where the Vikings looked like they were bouncing back. You know, the Eagles, they score. 
you know, they, they get to pick six, and we're kind of at an, at an even point there in the game. And it looks like the Vikings are going to come back, and it looks like they're going to score again. They're driving down the field. They've been so good uh, at sustaining drives this year, finishing off drives this year. And then he, he takes the strip sack, and the Eagles right away go down and score. That was where it seemed like it, it changed to me. And I think, Judd, that the Eagles had a pretty clear game plan on offense that, A, they were going to get the offensive line moving. They did that. They had some screen passes. They had some good runs, which I thought helped them a lot. At the first half, they averaged four and a half yards a run, mm-hmm. which we talked about how big that was going to be, and I, I think that helped set up some deep bombs. I also think, Judd, and, and I would never want to accuse the Vikings of putting a guy out there who they didn't feel could play, but I think once Andrew Sandejo got out on the field that he wasn't ready to play, and that was kind of shown to us when he was benched in the second half. And the Eagles, they know what happened. Other teams will attack players that have injuries. I think the Eagles specifically wanted to go after Sandejo after he was concussed last week. Oh, yeah, and they were – it started with that, and that was clear early in the game, Matthew, but it was as if – I mean, Trey Waynes was terrible. Trey Waynes was picked on. Trey Waynes is a guy – that you and I and a lot of folks have said the improvement there has been really, really um, impressive. And Foles picked on him, and he was biting on on uh, moves tonight, and you're watching this going, what's going on here? Harrison Smith did not play well. Harrison Smith had one of the worst games I've seen him have, I think, as a Viking. I mean, certainly in a long, long time. And so the Sandejo factor was, was smart of the of uh, philly to exploit but there were other things and there were some very good players now the one thing that i will say is this where vikings fans and followers need to uh need to look at themselves is we basically a lot of people spent last week dismissing philadelphia and saying well it's nick Foles. who cares it's nick Foles." and other people like you said well hold on a second here First of all, Nick Foles is not terrible. He might not be great, but he's not terrible. But more importantly, Philly's defensive line is for real. Their offensive line is very good. I mean, I believe that there were also a lot of things that that probably surprised Vikings fans tonight. That if they had if they had gotten over the Diggs miracle touchdown catch and thought about it, um, the fact that that Philadelphia won the game is not shocking. The fact that Philadelphia thrived in areas where we were warned about them being good, is not shocking. The only thing that shocks me is the final score. So I do think that we probably are guilty as a whole for selling them short. Do you think there was a sense at all from the defense that they had to make a big play? Like They watched the Eagles defense make two big plays. The pick six is an incredible play all around. It's a it's an amazing run back for touchdown. Ron Darby, who sets the block on Jarek McKinnon, the pass rush from Chris Long. I mean, this is just a spectacular team who came up with a huge play, and then they get the strip sack, too. There were times where I thought that some players were over-aggressive. I mean, you know, I'm thinking of where Harrison Smith got burned down the sideline by Zach Ertz, where he goes on Zach Ertz's first move, one it's pretty rare that a quarterback has long enough for a tight end to develop that route. 
Sure. And this is one of the things that the Vikings have done so well all year is that they know what kind of pressure their defensive line is going to create. So the safeties are extremely aggressive. I mean extremely. As aggressive as any safeties in the NFL, they play up. And not just one guy, but sometimes they'll both play up. And they will force you. They will say, okay, try a double move. Your quarterback's going to get sacked. I think that the offensive line of the Eagles is so excellent. Mm -hmm. And it is, I think, number one in the league this year. Now that uh, the Raiders and the Cowboys regressed a bit, I would put the Eagles as the best offensive line in the league. I think they protected Foles, and I think also that Foles surprised them with his pocket presence. I didn't think that Nick Foles had a big-time pocket presence, but he slid around, he moved himself. There was one play where he pump-faked halfway like he was going to throw it. He pump-faked and saw a hand come up and then made an off-balance throw. And it was like, okay, this guy is operating in the pocket like I did not think he was really that capable of. I think that took the Vikings secondary by surprise because they couldn't be as aggressive as they had been before, and they got burned. The 53-yard touchdown pass to Jeffrey was incredible. I mean, he was – Nick Foles on that play had, had a wave of pressure, which I thought he was going to be sacked by. Then there was sort of a second wave. And he basically stepped up and threw an incredible pass. I mean, he was – I'm not surprised he was good. I didn't expect him to be great. He was great. His protection was great. Um, and and they – and Peterson called a great game too. I mean, don't we, – we also, because, because Zimmer is such a good coach defensively, last week we spent a lot of time saying, oh, coaching matchup, Vikings win this. The Vikings win the coaching matchup. Doug Peterson, play calling wise, had a great script, and he is very, very good. I'm just telling you. Do I uh, do I think the Vikings are guilty of being haughty to a certain degree? Maybe. I definitely think that the fans were though. I definitely think that a lot of people looked at Philadelphia and said, "Oh, coaching matchup goes to Zim. Defense goes to the Vikings. Offense, offense, Keenum over Foles." And I think what we did was we basically said Coming off a game where, by the way, you melted down in the second half against the Saints. I mean, there is no doubt about that. But the way that that game came to its conclusion, we were all like, this is fantastic. The The last 10 seconds of that Saints game caused a lot of us to turn a blind eye to a lot of things that, at least internally for the Vikings, I think they said, this is not so good. I would say that I don't blame anybody who wanted to look at it that way, that this is a really good team, 13-3. and three. And beat the Saints, and if you wanted to go into this game and say we should win because it's Nick Foles, look at the history of the way Mike Zimmer's defenses have played backup-level quarterbacks. They've usually demolished them, right? I mean, we, we watched Andy Dalton come in, and he's had some good years, and he can't throw it to anybody. What this team never faced all year, unless I'm forgetting someone, Judd, maybe the Steelers are the only team with a great offensive line and that, to me, is the difference because you go team to team to team. The Rams have the good left tackle, but I'm not sure they have a good offensive line overall. Okay. The rest of the positions. They've got the most important one. This team, at three and possibly even four positions, they have great players. But at three, they have, like, superstar players. They have the two best players at their position at center and right tackle. That is a that is a major difference maker. And the guy who was playing left tackle, filling in for Jason Peters, he did a phenomenal job against Everson Griffin, who was non-existent. And you add that with Nick Foles moving around in the pocket. Well, I mean, that's something that the Vikings didn't face. But I wouldn't blame anybody for looking at this and going, 
I, I know they've got some good players, and I know they've got a good defense. They don't have the corners to shut down Thielen and Diggs is how you would have looked at right. it. You would have said, well, they don't have those corners, and that's how I looked at it too. And the quarterback, it all comes down to that. So I understand why fans were really, really up and thinking that they should go in and win this game and are now massively disappointed because you set the expectation that you're going to go and play a backup quarterback and defeat that backup quarterback, and instead you give up 352 yards. I mean, oh, you got eaten alive fa- by them. Fans deserve to be upset and flabbergasted at this game. Y- yes, they do because of, of how the game played out and the score. My point is, I don't think a lot of us took enough time to absorb the fact that that the Eagles have a good team. I agree the, with that, and that they have, that. and that they have lots of strengths. And yes, fans can be upset, but you also, if, if you go back and look at the Saints game. You also need to realistically look at that second half. You're up 17 rip at halftime of that Saints game. And the second half, you start to collapse. And you overcame the collapse because of one great play or one fortuitous play. But my only point is that when you go back and look at that, you did see some cracks. And that's why Zimmer got up there last week after the Saints game and went through a litany of, hey, for it's great we won, but here's a problem, here's a problem, here's a problem. It's just it is I it is flat out Matthew shocking to me coming off this game that this defense got eaten alive. I, I mean, Keenum struggling, I totally can see. Um, offense struggling somewhat, I totally can see. Defense maybe struggling a, a little bit, but when Harrison Smith and Waynes and this defense comes unglued and comes apart, I mean, I really think. For the majority of tonight's game, I didn't recognize that defense. It wasn't a defense that we saw. And so that is, if there's one thing that is completely shocking to me about this loss, it is that. It is that your defense, which had been so good and so good on third down and just so strong, basically looked weak. I think it's going to take a little while to get the explanations from Mike Zimmer because he'll talk this week and he'll look at the tape and usually he is pretty honest with some things when they go wrong. And then for me to get out the tape and, and see what I can figure out, and, and we'll go over that on, on later episodes. But as we walk away from this game, I feel the same way. If I were to put together a guess, it's that they were over-aggressive because they've relied on their pass rush, and they got burned on it on a few really, really impressive plays. And they've also never faced a tight end this year like Zach Ertz. And when we saw the defense last year, have its shortcomings, it was almost always because the other team had a good tight end. So stat on that. This year, Football Outsiders keeps track of how you do against each position. So number one wide receivers, slot wide receivers, tight ends, running backs in the passing game. The Vikings were number one against tight ends this year. Best team at allowing yards for tight ends. Last year, they were 23rd. This defense hasn't changed a whole lot in a year. The way Mike Zimmer plays, the personnel, I think it's who they faced and when they faced Ertz, he was a big problem, especially on those third downs. But, Judd, let's go over to the offensive side and talk about everything that went wrong there, too. Seven points. We're going to be up all night at this rate. I got to tell you, when they drove down and threw the touchdown to Kyle Rudolph, yep. the touchdown to Rudolph was really something because Jarek McKinnon goes out wide, and it, the Eagles were just lost. 
they were trying to communicate with each other, but they couldn't because the crowd was so loud, and it was almost like it played in the Vikings' favor. And then Kyle Rudolph, who's never burned anybody in his life, runs right by the Eagles defender. He's wide open. It's a perfect pass from Case Keenum, and it looks like, okay, Pat Shermer has dialed up a genius game plan here, and they're going to find ways to get the ball out quick and throw off this Eagles' great defensive line. And that ended right quick on the next drive when Chris Long went around Rashad Hill. And the the Eagles' defensive line, for real, as good as it gets, it reminds me a lot, now that they're in the Super Bowl, of the Giants. When the Giants beat the Patriots, a lot of the reason they did it was because of their incredible defensive line. Sure. And I felt the same way where even though every player on that defense isn't great, they just completely smother you and give you no opportunities to run the ball or have any time to throw. So the the play in which um, we had the strip sack, you said in your mind changed the game the most for the Vikings. I don't disagree with that. Uh, but the play in which uh, Keenum was picked and it was returned for a touchdown, even though the that he was hit on that play to me that is when he almost lost his mojo i thought like he was he was hit on that play he throws a not great pass and and said in his post game press conference as well that he had dropped too deep and should have stepped up and he didn't but that was a weird play in the sense that that play to me is a defining play in saying whoa this is different for him he didn't come back i mean keenum the one thing that he has uh, really consistently did after starting after week two and the loss at Pittsburgh was, to me, he had a certain amount of confidence or moxie or mojo that didn't seem to leave him. And he could screw up, but he came back and said, I'll, I'll be fine. I had a feeling like after that pick, he looked flustered. He had somehow lost his cool or something. And so I think that play in his season was incredibly important. Because that crowd was hostile, that crowd was loud, and that place is tough to play. And I felt after that got returned for a pick six that we saw him, confidence-wise, take a dip. That I don't know, after previous picks this year that I've seen, that to me was a very big deal, Matthew. I wasn't a huge fan of the direction that he was going to throw the ball anyway. Because I think, now Shermer, Pat Shermer said that he felt... Keenum would have had the throw to Adam Thielen. I'm not certain that he would have because I spotted that defender sneaking out and I thought, oh man, I mean, they they know what route this is. I mean, Patrick Robinson has had an amazing season for the Eagles and I think they knew what route was coming and they were about to jump it anyway. Mm -hmm. And maybe he throws the ball high to Thielen, he goes up and gets it. They've done that a lot of times before. But I thought it was a poor decision and him not stepping up he was doing that last week, and he did that way back in Pittsburgh. It was like regression to the Keenum going all the way back to when Pittsburgh was able to get around with the edge rushers that very few teams since had done that. And the domino effect of Nick Easton going down, the left guard, was really significant. It was significant against New Orleans because Cameron Jordan dominated Rashad Hill and then Rashad Hill ends up giving up that pressure to Chris Long, who's a great, great player, off the edge and getting a hand on Keenum. But Keenum having his instant reaction, this happened a few times against New Orleans, to step back, try to go around the pressure to the outside as opposed to up. And I think a lot of that starts with Fletcher Cox. 
that Fletcher Cox is in the middle pushing that line back so you know he's going to be there and you don't have that opportunity to step up as he had so many times in the pocket before. That was the issue on that play. Now, that play causes the other play. The interception causes the strip sack because from what I saw, and again, I hate to sound like the guy at his locker saying I have to look at the game tape, but to be sure about this, Mm -hmm. I, I have to go back and double check, but I believe that they were blocking to the right to handle the edge rusher off the right and left David Morgan with Derek Barnett. Yes, I think you're right. And so if you have a – David Morgan's a really good blocker, fantastic blocker, but on an edge rusher who had five sacks this year while only playing 40% of snaps and was a first-round pick, that's a tough assignment. And so they were blocking, it seemed, to try and take care of – the right side and give Rashad Hill help, mm-hmm. which caused on the left side, and it's, it's a sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul, and that's basically what you would say about this whole offensive line setup. By moving Remmers to the left guard, you take away from the the right tackle, where you would prefer that you had Mike Remmers. Right. And as much as I really like Rashad Hill, and I think he did a great job this year for what he was asked to do, starting right tackle probably isn't him right now against the best defensive line in the NFL. It's just not a very ideal matchup. Right. No, it's it's a, a, a big ask. And it's an interesting thing because because Hill uh, certainly played well, I thought, throughout much of the year. But once again, to your point, when you put him in against this line, that's going to be tough. And, yeah, I, I mean, I, if I recall correctly, when Easton got hurt in the game at uh, Green Bay, you immediately said that's a big deal. And it was. And so they did the best that they possibly could. Now, I guess we could have the conversation if should they have moved Berger, for instance, to left guard and played Searles at right guard and left Mike at right tackle and all that. Um, But, I mean, this also comes down to the fact that, listen, Case Keenum, whether you like it or not, Case Keenum has been a career backup. Case Keenum came in this year and was, for the most part, incredible. And it's a great story. But he's 29 years old, okay? And I think to have a notion that, oh, my gosh, this light's gone on and it's automatically he's going to be a great quarterback is probably mistaken. And so when you play a defensive line that good and a team that good defensively, you can't be shocked. I mean, this was there. It can't surprise you completely that there was going to come a point in time and a team again that he was going to play against and struggle. And he did. And I mean, now this is going to go to the question of. Is this a guy that you want to franchise? Is this a guy that you want want to give a multi-year rich contract to? Because somebody probably will now. But, I mean, these are all questions that are going to be very important to answer. And before we get caught up in saying, but look at how good he was throughout the season, what we have to also say is in a very important playoff game against a very good team, there were problems there. So do you want to, to pay him a lot, or do you want to look at your options here and understand that this was a fun year to watch and he had great success, but there's no guarantee that he's going to come back in 2018 and beat the same quarterback. That's what we talked about all year was the role of the supporting cast. And if you go one by one with the supporting cast, they all let him down and there wasn't enough there to overcome it. And there aren't that many quarterbacks who can, but I'm not sure that Keenum ever can. Like, if, if there's someone like Matthew Stafford, who is not one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in my mind, but he sometimes can, right? If, if you're right. not playing defense, there's a chance that he can use his arm talent 
to bring you back. And I've seen uh, even someone like Derek Carr, who I don't consider one of the best, uh-huh. but I've seen him do it where things go wrong, his receivers drop passes, and he finds a way to get you still in the game. I'm not sure that that's Case Keenum. And what we saw today was Adam Thielen had a back injury, clearly impacted him. Oh, he was slow, no question. He's never going to say it, but he cut out of some routes that I thought, I'm not sure he's got 100%. It's a a gritty performance by Thielen, as you'd expect, but it couldn't possibly be 100%. Stephon Diggs gets hurt early in the game. I thought he still played well, but maybe not quite the same. Yep. And the offensive line starts to fall apart against a great defensive line. The defense doesn't play well and forces you to get into a shootout. And all year long, from podcast to podcast to podcast, we talked about they're playing from ahead. They're constantly playing from ahead, which allows you to throw short, to run the ball, to get in third in short situations. And that was another thing, too. We, the running game was not there. It, it just wasn't. They got a couple of runs what really early. They had 18 carries for 70 yards, a 3.9 average as a team with a long of 10. Yeah, The longest there run being 10, 10 is yards. a huge deal. And they got shut down. I think they averaged 3.4 yards a carry in the first half. That's not going to get it done mm-hmm. unless you rip off a couple of explosive runs at some point. And that was how they did it all year long. So how this team won all year long with Case Keenum as their quarterback, all those things fell apart. And he wasn't good enough to, to, lift you up. to overcome that. Correct. And, and, and I think even Case Keenum would probably admit to that when he said earlier this year, it's really stuck with me when he said he's driving a Lamborghini. Like, yes, yes, you are. And that's going to be the Today was a pinto. Question. Yeah, today it was. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be the question, Judd. And I know we're going to have all offseason to talk about the quarterback situation, but I think a lot of fans who were really on the Case Keenum bandwagon this year at the end of the season, they saw what happened in New Orleans, the bad interception. They saw what happened in this game. And I I think they may have a lot more hesitation Mm -hmm. to sign themselves up when he's playing against the Philadelphia Eagles as opposed to the Chicago Bears, Cincinnati Bengals, and Green Bay Packers. This also is a tough, tough loss because of this. Excuse me. This season presented an opportunity that comes along rarely. I mean, we can assume that the Vikings are going to come back in 2018 and certainly defensively be good again, okay? But if you look at the health of that defense throughout this year, if you look at the things offensively that went right, Shermer, your play caller, had a fantastic year, and he is almost certainly going to be gone and get a head coaching job elsewhere, probably the Giants. Um, If you look at all the things that fell into place, the Minnesota Vikings had a golden opportunity, a great opportunity to become the first team to play host to a Super Bowl. And unless basically you're the Patriots caller year to year, you can't predict things like you can. You could say, well, I think the Vikings are going to be good for a long time, but you don't know that. And fortune doesn't always go your way. Look at the Vikings in 2016. So I don't want to pile on here but i will if you're a vikings fan go ahead and feel bad because this season presented to you i mean down to the saints win that is as improbable as it possibly gets um down to that win this season presented you with an opportunity that comes along very very rarely and it fell apart here but um it's a tough loss and i i know it doesn't 
I, because it was such a one-sided game, it doesn't uh, go along the lines of 87 or 98 or 2009 as far as, as being a last second, oh my gosh, that hurts loss. But when you do look at the opportunity that was presented and the opportunity that's now gone for this year, this is a tough one, a really tough one, I think. It's very hard to predict from year to year. This year, we spent all offseason talking about all the things that could potentially go wrong, and none of them went wrong. I mean, we, we talked about the three-tech. We talked about the nickel corner. And we no one got about, hurt for the most part until tonight, right? No, no, no one I mean, on Rhodes defense, got hurt, yeah. hurt t- tonight, and Rhodes got hurt essentially, it seemed like, once a game. But when you look at the key players, Harrison Smith played the entire year. Rhodes did. Linval Joseph did. I think Griffin missed one game. Sendejo missed a couple games. That was it. Barr didn't miss time. Kendricks. I mean, you can't. There is no way on a year-to-year basis that you can count on on losing as few man games as this defense did in 2017. No, there was almost none. And, and that's an amazing thing to happen for a defense. And you look at Seattle, they lost Richard Sherman, they lost Cam Chancellor, and then it was a lot more difficult for them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of times you have those things go wrong throughout a season and you, you don't have Aaron Rodgers get hurt. Right, like, like you don't have Russell Wilson not in the playoffs because his stupid kicker missed a couple of easy field goals. Hey, that's Blair Walsh. Be nice. Sorry, come on. Sorry, grade school kids in Minnesota still love him to this day. Okay. Uh, anyway, I don't think that the grade school kids will be sending uh, Rashad Hill any notes on that <laughs> for, for that game. But um, the you know Russell Wilson's not in the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers is on the playoffs. You would have Dak Prescott's not in the playoffs because the Cowboys had a bunch of injuries and a suspension for their running back. Otherwise, they're one of the strongest teams. So it, trying to count on that to happen, plus Carson Wentz getting hurt. I mean, Nick Foles had a Carson Wentz game, but that was one of the things that the stars aligned for you. Everything Absolutely. went your way, including the Minneapolis Miracle. And if you think about it, to get to this point, to have all those things have to go your way, it's not necessarily the sustainable way to go. But you probably will have to have better quarterback play that can overcome some things. Delvin Cook will have to come back at 100%. And they're going to have to make some moves to uh, even improve further, uh, mm-hmm. especially on the offensive line. They're probably going to need a new guard and, and maybe some more depth there, too. Um, so there, there's a lot of things that they're going to face here, starting with the quarterback situation, that make this future of this team not not unclear that they won't be competitive, oh, but, right. uh, but unclear about whether they no. could actually be set up for a Super Bowl. And, and the point is the Stars did align. Like, everything went right. Everything everything that fell apart in 2016 didn't in 17. That's the point. I mean, defensively, this team should be, should be good for a long time. All of that being said, there are only so many years where everything goes right, and it did until tonight. And it went about as wrong as it could possibly I'm, go, I'm Judd. I'm stunned. It, I'm stunned by the final score, it by the went, way. It went so very wrong. It so did. Judd and I and Courtney Cronin, who has uh, been with us all year, will continue to bring you off-season podcasts each and every week as we break this one down and then talk about everything that will go along with the draft, free agency, and on and on, and we'll do it again. Uh, a very disappointing loss for the Minnesota Vikings to end the season. <laughs> However... 
We Judd, are not disappointed with our Purple Podcast listeners. No, thank you very listenership, much. Listenership, which we appreciate so you guys are great. very much throughout the full season. So if you don't subscribe, then please do uh, subscribe or give us a grade or rating or whatever you people do. Uh, we would very much appreciate that. Thank you all for listening all season, and we will see you next time. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.